Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively dedicated to the greatest club competition in South American football, the Commonwealth Libertadores. And myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver James Wilson this week. We're reflecting back on the first legs of the round of 16 fixtures. And I have to confess, Mr. Wilson, that when we spoke about the matches this week, there was a very rare but unmistakably sombre tone to both of our both of our thoughts, really, because it was it was just a bit of a shame. Nine goals in eight matches, almost that kind of hangover, maybe from the Copa America or the fact that the Argentine sides haven't played competitive football in six or seven weeks, so that kind of impacted the games. But I mean, listen, we chewed through all the matches. There was certainly, if we're talking about positive things, the, the fact that. All the ties, really, is still very much in play and set up very nicely ahead of the second legs is a big positive to take. But Ollie, we were um, we were honest, we were reflectful, and as we sort of ticked towards midnight on Friday night here in London and the UK, we were, yeah, I don't know, just a little bit more uh, subdued than usual, perhaps. I mean, I'm subdued because I've been stuck in my house for four days in a row while it's been glorious sunshine and I can't leave because of this bloody isolation rubbish, mm-hmm. which is a, a big pain in the behind. Um and I've done like four different bits of work this this evening, including this podcast, which I do enjoy and I will never complain about the work I'm doing. But when then the Libertadores isn't throwing up seven goal thrillers uh, and, and isn't gracing us with the level of performance that we quite often expect and then we're still lacking the crowds and the atmospheres as well, which we get into on the podcast, it just felt, it felt like it had let us down. But that also means that Generally, when we have a flat week in the Libertadores, mm. we get a pretty decent one the following week. And when we have a week where we think it's going to be giving us everything, it doesn't give us what we hope. I think as well, when we looked at the, the draw for the round of 16, like we did say that the more interesting draw was the Sudamericana compared to this Libertadores round of 16 draw. So maybe it's just the calm before the storm of the quarterfinals and semifinals. Onwards and upwards, though, Windsor. Onwards mm. and I, upwards. I also remember, Ollie, the kind of first round or maybe two of the Libertadores group stages was a little bit edgy sides feeling each other out and then it just became an absolute goal fest and there were crazy games and, and, and everything beautiful that you expect with the Commonwealth Libertadores. So, yeah, absolutely. But, um, yes, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the podcast. Redes to try and kill the tie off the vital away goal in the first leg and the Libertadores group stage ceiling goal in the second back in and kept alive as well and rifles into the back of the net Just exquisite! Fidel Martinez, you are sensational! You expect more than nine goals? Considering the point of football is to score a goal, right? I mean, Mm. don't tell Boca Juniors that, but the point of football (laughs) is to score a goal. And there were nine in eight very, very important games. So just on the surface level, Ollie, I guess it was um, it was kind of disappointing this week. Let's let's dive straight in, mate. Defensive Justicia, nil. Flamengo, one, if you don't mind me starting there. Just because this was a game I was really, really looking forward to. Uh, And okay, here are my main takeaways from this one. Well, first of all, Defensive Justicia hadn't played a competitive game since late May. It's now the middle of July. As we discussed on the pod last week, 
it's the first, it's potentially the most important game of your season, and it comes off the back of no other competitive game. So, so that's a very weird stance, whereas, of course, Flamengo have kept playing in, in Brazil. Uh, Flamengo scored after 21 minutes. It was Mikael and uh, took a big deflection. Flamengo probably just about deserved it overall. Rotondi had quite a few chances for defensive Justicia. Gabriel Auchin as well had opportunities. Uh, but, but Flamengo now got 12 games without a loss in the Libertadores within 90 minutes, I should say. And uh, and and they got the job done. Really, it was it was good to see Renato Gaucho on the touchline, the new Flamengo boss. And as soon as I heard that, Ollie, I just thought, yeah, that makes sense. Renato Gaucho at Flamengo, he fits that. He fits that, doesn't he? You know, he's got that arrogant swagger. Look at me, backs himself. And I just think I know Flamengo have churned through head coaches in the last. Uh, Sort of the last what twelve months really, but uh, but getting, uh, Renato Gaucho is a, a good fit. Sorry, that was a real jumbled mixture of thoughts from Defensive DC and Neil Flamengo one. You, you tell me what you thought, Mister Wilson. Uh, it, well, it's it's interesting you talk about Flamengo there, and uh, yeah, it's after we thought the Jorge Jesus era was going to be long and prosperous, and since then it's just been all over the place managerially as a club. Uh, you bring in a guy that has, is used to being a, a club for a long time, who is an experienced winner in the Libertadores and is experienced at getting continual success at this level. It's a perfect hire. It's a great hire to have going into the knockout stages. And much like what happened with Jorge Jesus, this side started off, I thought, quite disappointingly and slowly in the round of 16 to to start the knockout stages for Flamengo because I thought defensive Justicia just better side yeah you couldn't have picked it any better than Brian Romero's gone that's going to be difficult for them they need to find somebody to fill that void and my goodness they needed a forward to fill that void particularly when we get onto River as well and how good Romero looked I thought for River Plate they needed a proper centre forward and Walter Bow plays well off Romero has been has had individual moments in the group stages. But in general, when it came to a big night, they created so many chances and they couldn't finish them. It was a bit like, not to make too drastic a, a compliment here to, to Defensive Justicia, but it was like Spain in the Euros. They could create all the chances they want, but they just missed a consistent number nine to be able to finish them off. And Mikael gives Flamengo the, the deflected, fortuitous lead. They didn't create as much. like In terms of chances created in the game, Flamengo were well outdone by defensive Justicia. They didn't look great defensively, I didn't think, from what I saw. And then the second half, arguably their best opportunities came on the counter-attack, which is what you'd expect from defensive Justicia, chasing the game a bit more down a goal. And they play a very high line anyway, as we've noted in the group stages. This kind of went exactly how I thought it would go. Flamengo aren't that impressive to me this year because that part, that, that squad is just... Compared to no, I've compared. Just, I've just sat bolt upright in my chair because <laughs> Wilson is slamming a side that have won away from home in the last sixteen of the Commonwealth Libertadores against the Commonwealth Sudamericana champions from last year with a new boss at the helm. Ollie, you're a tough man to please, my friend. I'm just saying that I've said all tournament that that defense is you can get at that defense that back line, and it was still that same back four that they've been playing for yeah, large yeah. parts of this tournament. You can get at them. The, Better sides will the beat keepers Flamengo. good though. The keeper's good. Diego Alves, he had a good game, granted. And he we don't, it's not something we really talk about because obviously instinctively you talk about Flamengo's attacking prowess, but he is he is impressive, Diego Alves, especially when he's mm. called into action. Um, 
All right, Miss. Yeah, you're not impressed by Flamengo. You haven't been throughout, I don't think, actually. I'm trying to think of compliments you gave me in the group stage. I mean, you, you've never really fancied them. It's, are you just viewing them always in contrast with Palmeiras? Is that why you're being... Because you are being and quite I, a tough critic on them here. And I think it's because we've seen them play better, better. aesthetically pleasing football. So it's like you need to maintain that level to me. Otherwise, you're not as good as you were. And if you're not as good as you were, there will be other sides that will be able to beat you. So I don't think in 2019, by the end of the tournament, they looked all conquering. I think this year, especially in the way that they ended up beating River, they had the good fortune and everything. And they weren't, they didn't dominate River Plate in that final. But it was like, if you can beat Gachado's side at that manner, you can beat every, anybody you are all conquering. But this Flamengo side, doesn't look all conquering, and I don't think they would like run through, say, a, an international of no, 2019 like they did in 2019. I think this this is going to be a tougher competition for them in the latter part, unless Jesus. Renato Gaucho gets gets it right as Jorge Jesus did, and I could be I, proved I, wrong, and it could be a slow burner that builds and builds again. Yeah, no, I could, I just completely disagree with you. I wasn't. I was expecting this pod to be quite quickly enough to rattle through the game. We've already hit a stumbling block in terms of Flamengo. I, I yeah, I, I think their quality. I think that the, I think Renato Gaucho's a really top coach, uh, and I think the only reason you could judge Flamengo harshly is if you're judging them in direct comparison with Palmeiras. They've they've gone away at defence East this year. Who who. You know, a, a really, really good side won the Sudamericana. Anyway, we'll move on, Oli, and, and I guess history will um, will 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 determine uh, who is right and who is wrong, or neither is potentially. Olympia nil, international nil. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this match will always, I will always remember this. Well, I probably won't always remember this match, but I will remember it in the short to medium term for a really, really bad miss from Victor Salazar, and he just had such a huge chance that I think. You know, I wonder whether come the end of the the two legs, he'll he'll live to regret really. Um, Inter goalkeeper Daniel had a really magnificent debut actually in the in the Comma Ball Libertadores, made some really good saves. He was very very impressive. Both these sides, of course, qualified from Group B, and we saw them play each other uh, a couple of times with with Inter coming out on top on both occasions. So yeah, nil nil from the first leg of Paraguay. What do you think, Wilson? Inter are a side that get the job done at home, aren't they? In this tournament this year, sure. That it's it's home performances so to to limit the damage away from home to get a nil nil draw I think is probably what uh what Inter were, were happy to to go with to be honest no obviously um Diego Aguirre taking up charge in the yep in the dugout for Inter as well I think that slipped past us when we were looking at the uh the start of the round of 16 which is a shame Miguel Angel Ramirez no longer uh which I don't think can help this Inter side that again I don't We've seen the odd impressive performance, but consistency. Consistency wins this sort of tournament at the moment. They are so chalk and cheese. Jekyll and Hyde, mm. all of those phrases that you want to throw on them. And and it wasn't wasn't really good enough. Uh, both sides were mainly having efforts from long range. Um, and if Salazar tucks that one in from five yards out, <laughs> I mean, mm. I can't believe it. It's But it still might not be the worst miss this week. No, because you're thinking of Lucas Miss a little bit later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about that. But I mean, that one probably will prove to be less costly. But uh, that was a real bad one. And also, I'm going to throw Matias Suarez into the mix, mate. Not in terms of how bad the misses were, but how important they were because he missed a few. Right, mm. Velez won Barcelona nil. Um, 
again, you know, th- th- this was a round of fixtures where from each game, I think there's only really one or two kind of important things to talk about. And for this, it was quite obviously the early goal from Velez scored by Juan Lucero. And it's a great header, Oli. It's a great header. It's the way that the ball... It's easy to make a header look amazing if it's if the flight of the ball is perfect, right? And you're just literally you're altering or you're tweaking the trajectory of the ball. But just the fact that the cross was a little bit behind him and the fact that he's got to reposition his body and uh, and kind of arc his back and his neck. And, and I thought it was a really, really impressive header. Um, and Velez, to be honest, they, they, I mean, it was it was a poor game in, in terms of chances created. Barcelona didn't do much. I think they'll just be grateful. They're still in the tie, to be honest, when they take the second leg to, to Ecuador. Velez have got a great record, actually. They've scored at least one goal in the last nine home games in the Combo Ball Libertadores. So um, this result very much in keeping with that. Yeah, as I say, Barcelona had a few pot shots from range. Garces couldn't really get in the game. Damien Diaz came as close as Barcelona came, really, with a left-footed strike over the crossbar. Um, and I don't think this tie is over, not by a long shot, because I do think Barcelona will dust themselves off and have a really good go at Velez in the second leg. But um, Mauricio Pellegrino as well, the Velez boss, wearing wearing a poncho. It was his the middle of winter in Buenos Aires, and it was obviously pissing it down with rain. And he's, he stood, I don't know, like, if you're the coach... Just let it rain in a jacket? Like, hey, do you need to wear a poncho? I don't know. But he did wear a poncho, and, and it was kind of an odd look. His side won, though, Oli, and, and Velez would be delighted. Very impressed by Velez. One of the best kits that you'll see in world football mm-hmm. at the moment. The the pinstripes on the shirt, as well as the, the V, the blue V on the white shirt. It's just beautiful if you're a big fan of iron-up football kits. I thought Lucas Janssen in this game was, was really good as the number 10 yeah. behind the goal scorer Lucero. Um, I really like this Velez side. I do. I think they play really enjoyable football to watch, and I think they did a really good job as well of stifling Barcelona. I mean, Castillo and Pineda, we, we've waxed lyrical about, and really didn't. They didn't get many opportunities to bomb forward. To be honest, they were kept, kept quite honest, and they weren't given much time and space on the flanks. Um, and yeah, the other the other thing about the Lucero goal is it's just kind of I've never really noticed a player be kind of on the right channel of the 18-yard box when the play is out on the right wide right position and just kind of like sneak in to the 18-yard box untracked. And he's not even in line with the post. He's still wide of the near post on the right side, which makes mm. the header even more impressive because he's got to make sure he gets it back across him almost, glancing the ball the way it's already going so he can't get any power on it. So it has to be perfect placement. And as you say, arching his neck back to get to it and he's kind of on the turn pirouetting. It, it's a... It's a really high caliber finish when you look at it technically. It's not like impressive on the eye straight away. And I thought Velez completely deserved their deserved their victory, to be honest. And mm. if they can stifle Barcelona again when they go back to Ecuador, I mean, I don't think it's... Barcelona could be as bad as that. I mean, they weren't terrible, but I mean, I think they'll create more. I really do. But we'll we'll see. Sarah Portenio nil, Fluminense two. I mean, I'm going to put it out there, and I know Sarah aren't a great side, Ollie, but I, for me, this is maybe the performance of the of the round. Just to go, just because you know, to go to to Paraguay and and come away with the two 0 win could have been more. And you know, they've done it without Fred as well, who was injured, and Fluminense was so reliant on Fred in the in the group stages. He was magnificent for them. So um, this contest between two sides that have never lifted the trophy, I think bar a miracle that statistic will probably carry on past uh, late November in Montevideo, Uruguay where the final is going to be played um, this is all about Nene 39 years and 359 days would you believe, 7 days shy of his 40th birthday and not only does he score the opening goal and become Fluminense's 
oldest player to ever score in the Libertadores, breaking his own record, actually, from the group stages. But but he was just great in general. He hit the post. He kept things ticking over. He doesn't look 39. He looks really sprightly. He looks impressive. For Sarah Porteño, they'll, they'll think back, Oli, on the chance for Maro. Uh, Bosselli, has got a header seven yards out, can't score. It's a great chance, which he, which he doesn't take. Uh, Ashidio makes it 2-0, smashing it in the back of the net for Fluminense. And and then, we, as we mentioned earlier, Luca had a, a great chance to make it 3-0. After some neat work, actually, from, I think, Kaiki was involved and, and maybe Henrique, I can't remember, but on the left-hand side. But Luca misses the, the great chance right at the end to make it 3-0, doesn't take it. So Fluminense will have to... Have to make do with just the 2-0 victory. Um, seven games away from home without defeat in the competition, Ollie. I don't know if they're a dark horse because there's only 16 teams left. But outs, I don't know. It's, it's Sarah on, on a great side. But nonetheless, for me, it's, it's probably the performance of the round going there and winning 2-0. Definitely a side that I think Fluminense can make a run. I think the, the important thing for this is that it's a Brazilian side that's gone away from home and hasn't played within themselves. And they were really aggressive in the first half early on in particular, they were trying to set the tone and pace for the evening, uh, which, which is something we're just not used to seeing from the majority of these these Brazilian clubs when they are on the road. They're happy to sit back, maybe snatch a 1-0 win or something like that, and then go and beat whoever they're playing in Brazil. So it was nice to see them being super aggressive. Cerro will be shaking their head at some of the opportunities that they had. I think this was actually a more even game than the scoreline kind of suggests, because if... If the Paraguayans get their shooting boots on and, and you pointed out the Baselli miss from a free header from six yards out. Mm. And when I mean free, I mean free, totally uncontested. Um, yeah. But then again, you know, Fluminense hit the crossbar a couple of times. Egidio smashes it, barring in for, for a wonderful goal. A really nice, very similar to a, to a goal that Batistuta scored against uh, Arsenal at Wembley when Arsenal had that season playing in the Champions League at mm. Wembley. And Seaman kind of leans back and it goes above him from a tight angle. It's similar to that it's a little so bit. So close, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was great. I just realised... Sarah, I just realised Oli... Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're not. I've just realised that Brazil... Brazilian sides only conceded one goal in this uh, in this batch of fixtures. And that was Sao Paulo conceding. So, yeah, the Brazilian sides, maybe they're all that domestic football kept them ticking over. And I mean, there weren't many goals in general. But, uh, yeah, Cerro, uh, sadly not good enough. It's... It's a shame, really. Um, just, you know, it'd be great to see sides outside. Brazil and Argentina doing the job. But we move on. Boca Juniors nil, Atletico Minero one. Should we scrap everything and talk about the big talking point? What's the big this, talking which point? Which was, yeah, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> Boca, well, Pavon was playing around with it on the right-hand side. Feeds Vigant's who is kind of twisting and turning, flicks it into the penalty area. Eventually, it loops up, and Diego Gonzalez just nods the ball in the back of the net. Wheels away, happy as Larry. He scored a goal at La Bombonera. Boca Juniors are leading 1-0. Everyone's happy, Oli. And they don't concede, so they're thinking, OK, we'll take a 1-0 victory. All good, job done. We're in the quarterfinals. However, <laughs> the goal didn't stand because um, VAR got involved, and on the replay, there was... A hand up from Norberto Briasco is making his competitive debut for Boca Juniors on the back of Nathan, the uh, Atletico Minero defender. This is obviously at nil-nil. The game finished nil-nil. Um, it's not... It, the goal should have stood. But I actually... I'm going to... And if you go on sort of Twitter, Ollie, and, uh, you know, do a few hashtag uh, Boca, you can see some of the absolute 
I mean, they are livid, absolutely livid at this decision. Everything from conspiracy theories to, to, to this, that, and the other. I, I think the goal should have stood. But at the same time, I can see why it was chalked off. I can actually see the other side to it. And if, if people say they can't see it, I would I would suggest, like, what have you been doing for the past year? Have you been watching football? Like, it's a soft game now. You can't touch anyone in the penalty area. You can't. You cannot, like, look at England's penalty, like, the other night. And you, you can't touch anyone. It's a penalty. and uh, Or it's a foul. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an infringement. So, Briasco raises his arm. I mean, the contact, <laughs> it would not be enough to push over. It was soft. But the art, he does put a hand on Nathan, and like, like I say, I'm not, I'm not just playing devil's advocate. But what I would say is, like, if you don't like it, like, complain about the way the game's gone, not about that specific incident. Sorry, I'm ranting and rambling. With, no, with I was just thinking we don't need thoughts. more people using phrases like "oh, the game's gone." That's like one of my pet peeves <laughs> at the moment in football of people just being, because like everything evolves, whether it's for good, whether it's for bad. So people going like, oh. Back in my day, and I'm, you know, I do it as well. Like, I, I want to see people being able to make decent challenges and being strong. Why are we from they... Yorkshire, by the way? Oh, because it, it, it just, my... <laughs> yeah, it just seems like <laughs> it just a very fits, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you what, the game's gone. Back in my day, you'd pay two shillings to get in, <laughs> and then you'd watch two men beat living crap out of each other. And if one of them accidentally put ball in net, <laughs> everyone went oh, happy. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. But um, yeah, it, it's just it's just sad though that it's that way. And, like, you compare, like, the contact of that to, say, the contact of Chiellini on, on Saka in the mm. Euro 2020 final. It's like, now, that's an unnecessary challenge in the final of the Euros. This, but necessary, not really actually. anything. Oh, very necessary, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the tattoo of that? I know this is going on a tangent to European football. We've seen the tattoo that somebody got of, it's the, it's the Euros trophy almost falling out of Sacco's hands as his arms are going forward and it's Chiellini pulling him back. They've got it tattooed. Somebody's got it tattooed Someone's on Someone's got arm. a tattoo of that. A yeah. tattoo. Yeah. For the rest of their life, <laughs> they've got that. That's amazing. What, what annoyed me about that is not the foul because I thought I totally understand. Anyone who watches Football Lolly understands that foul, right? Yeah. Like it's just, as you say, it's unnecessary, but it's, it's necessary. Like is what it is. What annoyed me is when people were tweeting, why isn't that a red card? Like it's not a red card. It's mm. never been a red card. That's not. It was like you're watching. I don't know what. Yeah, it's other. It's a, a rather card. rash, abrasive version of a cynical foul, but it's the same cynical foul as a shirt pull that wasn't yeah. around the neck. Like if you pulled it on the back, nobody would bat an sure. eyelid. It's only because it's around it's, the neck that it looks worse. It's not violent conduct, and he's not. Yeah, it's not. Um, Although he hasn't yeah. tried to play the ball at all in any way, so there may be. And Saka was potentially on his way. Round the halfway back. line. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult to judge, particularly when Bonucci was sprinting all over the place. But we'll not get sidetracked by European football anymore. Look, I can understand not, why Boca fans are livid. Were... Yeah, they no, they would, they were livid. <laughs> they, they were, they were livid. <laughs> and I understand why. Like, if that was my team and that went against me, Oli, I'd be absolutely fuming because it's, it is ridiculous. But at the same time, like you know, if you're Briasco, like, your arm, your arms up there anyway. It's a pretty um, poor game, goal. wasn't it? Though aside from that, it wasn't just... great, mate. It wasn't great. I mean, my notes are, are very few and few and far between. Really, I mean, Boca had so many ins and outs of late and haven't played competitively, so they just had their preseason. So of course, it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, they only scored six goals in the group stages. We, we weren't expecting lots and lots of goals. Um, it's surprising that Everson, Everson was the busier of the two keepers. Like, I wasn't expecting Boca to be the ones creating the better chances that evening. I thought it would be. Boca do what they normally do, sit back, defend, be solid, and then 
like you know it would be Atletico Mineiro who we've seen play very confident attacking football trying to do that it wasn't really the case they, they never really got anything going to be honest yeah it was a poor game, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was really poor. I mean, God, it, you know, it's a tough week this week, isn't it? It is, it is a tough week, man. And it, you don't see that very often in the Libertadores. You really don't. Um, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it was, it was a bit of a grind. I mean, if yeah, it, it was a bit tough. Um, it, mate, you know what? The lack of fans has gone on long enough now. Like, I understand why, and I'm not going to venture into any of those debates, but. It's really been telling the U- yeah, it, with the Euros and American sport. And sure. then you go and watch a Copa America game and now you watch a Libertadores or a Sudamericano. The, the Nacional Peñarol game, like sure. that is crying out in the Sudamericano. It's, ruined. The it's almost ruined, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the main spectacle, the main joy of that being the, the tie is that there'll be people there to create that amazing atmosphere of a Clasico and it's... It's not there. They're walking out to an empty stadium. And it, it was really highlighted again this week, I think. And I think it's when, it's exactly as you say, Oli, when, when no continent or country had fans in the stadium, then it was like, okay, this is what it is across the board. Mm-hmm. And then you go off the back of seeing a Euros, which wasn't a capacity, but it wasn't far off. And you say, all oh, right, yeah, that is how it should be. That is what it's like. And America's had, you know, that they've had capacity crowds for a while now. So that's two continents that are getting fans back in the stadium, finding a way. Like I said, I'm not going to venture into the rights or wrongs because it's ridiculously nuanced and, and layered and there's no, there's no correct answer here. But, you know... That, it's it's you whether need, it's right or wrong. It, whether, you, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But what it does is it hinders the game in, in terms of the enjoyment, particularly, I think, on this continent where like the fans and the attitudes were... I don't want to say a distraction, but they were such a great addition to the intensity of, of tournament football like this and completely different to what you're, you're seeing and what you'd see in Europe and especially sanitised English football and some of the other major leagues. Like this was still raw, cracking fans. And so now not having them when other places... Are, like a championship football game is going to look and sound better now than a Libertadores game mm. as we go into the new English football season. Cool. I mean... You know, we can only speak for for England, Ollie, can't we? And as it's mid July, and you know, in August, you're gonna have packed. It's full capacity, mm. full capacity from from Monday basically. But obviously, most of the you know the season starts in August, and it's gonna be full capacity crowds. So I, I think it's it's it, it just can't go on for years and years. You know, it's like there has to be a point where you you, you let fans back in the ground or. Yeah, or, or the sport's really, really going to suffer. Um, yeah, those are obviously decisions to be made. Um, I fancy Kuka to do what he did uh, in the semi-finals for Santos and not bock her out on Brazilian soil, Wilson. Yeah, I think that was a kind of a post-final whistle thought of this is this is going down a very similar modus operandi, isn't it? <laughs> like, mm. wasn't wasn't a great first leg that semi-final first leg between Santos and Boca and. The second leg, Boca got exactly. torn apart. So, and they've got the you quality to do it. You know what I like? Um, I don't often like it when managers go to the referee, but something about Russo getting an- angry, I quite like. I don't know why, Oli. Just check it out. Next time you see him getting frustrated at the touch, he's got a different kind of vibe to him. It's not like he's petulant, annoyed. He's he's more like a kind of um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. He dresses smart, and when he gets annoyed, it's, it's a good look. Let's talk about 
the other big boys from Buenos Aires, um, Argentinos Juniors. No, I'm kidding. River Plate against Argentinos Juniors at the Monumental. And my thoughts from this were, well, Rafa Santos Porre gone, Brian Romero in. And as you alluded to earlier, Oli, he was great. He was absolutely great. He could have gone down for the opening goal, stays in his feet, great balance, squares the ball across to Matias Suarez. Perfect start for River Plate. And what followed, actually, in the 20 minutes after that was just some really, really good play from River. We know Gashada's got the ability to reinvent the side. I don't think that's what we're seeing here because the, the kind of the cycles come to an end. But the front three for River, Romero and then Suarez and Alvarez as a three. There's a little bit of something for everyone in there, I thought, especially with Nico de la Cruz, um, you know, nipping in behind. So that is a front four. No, it's not Palmeiras or Flamengo, but it's it's a pretty handy... They're going to cause problems for anyone. And I was I was really impressed. But, and then Girotti as well, who we both saw glimpses of in the group stages and we, we liked, and he came off the bench and was lively. So, yeah, Matias Suarez had loads of chances. He didn't take them. Then Gabriel Alche makes it one apiece. And, um, and that's how it finished, really. It's... I mean, the away goal doesn't mean that much considering there's, there's no travel, there's no fans. So, so it's, uh, it's one of his. What, what were your thoughts on this one, mate? Oh, well, I was thinking the exact opposite about the away goal of like, that's a very good result for Argentina's juniors. That is, I mean, no I know. No travel, no fans. I mean, what does it mean? No, it, it, it means if Argentina's juniors can hold out for a nil-nil in the second leg, they'll be through. <laughs> no, I know what it means. <laughs> that, like, that, that is, that's you know, important. <laughs> Winter. That is quite important. Football's very simple, you see. If you get an away goal and then you don't bet. <laughs> well, it, 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 yeah, but I mean, the the away goal means something because it's more difficult to score a goal away from home. I, I just think it felt a little bit it, telling it, that that sort of poacher's goal, maybe a couple of years ago, you wouldn't see River conceding mm. that sort of thing, particularly from a side like Argentina's juniors who played really well, as we said in the group stage, and, and certainly went above and beyond expectation. Expected this to be the level where they get caught out at, and they weren't really. And it was down to River's lack of finishing from Matias Suarez in a, a number of moments, and the unselfishness of Brian Romero at times. When there are opportunities where, mate, have a go yourself. You've already put one on a plate for the guy. I know you're trying to like. Mm getting good with your new teammates in this front line that's wonderfully attacking and you've got options. But you're a goal scorer yourself. Like, have a few pops on your own and see what happens as well. Um, but as you say, I thought Romero slotted in perfectly into this Riverside at least and was probably the best player of the three going forward. Hmm. Sabala won Racing one this is actually maybe in terms of a spectacle the best game of the of the batch really just because there were there were lots of chances at either end um Vito Bueno scores for for Sao Paulo and Gabriel Arias who's gone like a million games without conceding a goal or something he really really impressive in the group stages he just what can you say it, that happens with goalkeepers makes a complete mess of it it's the easiest goal Vito Bueno will score all season and uh, and Sao Paulo were a goal so they're good and then actually not long after that Arias makes an unbelievable save, so a little bit of redemption perhaps against Vitor Bueno, who should have scored to make it 2-0, and then perhaps you got a different game and a different tie. He didn't. It was 1-0, and then Enzo Copetti scores for Racing, his first ever goal in the in in the Libertadores, and it's a great goal as well, actually, from Copetti, because it's just not much space to work with, and there's so little backlift, and he's moving his body shape and his movement is away from goal, and he's taking it away from goal, and then there's just, yeah, no backlift and just arrows the ball into the bottom corner. 
it's, it's a really great goal. There were loads of chances at both ends, probably most notably for me. Eugenio you know, Mena had a great chance for Rassing, a header from about five yards out, couldn't score. Um, yeah, one apiece, but but uh, yeah, a good spectacle. We saw the Sao Paulo side that we saw in the first two games, especially from the, the early part of this, of actually creating chances, um, really aggressive getting forward. Uh, I did like Wellington on the left flank from uh, the highlights I've been able to catch yeah. of this game. Um, but I uh, full credit to Racing. You know, when your goalkeeper makes a mistake like that, it'd be really easy, particularly on the on the road, to really get down about it. And I, I'm sure that's, that second save from Arias uh, to deny Victor Bueno was a big kind of motivation for the side of like, no, we, we are still in this. This is a, a glitch. This isn't a problem that we're going to have this evening. It's not a case of the night isn't going to be ours or anything. Um, and I'm really impressed with, with Rassing, who, you know, when we when we finished their group talking about these two, I think I'd kind of been quite like, Rassing are very organised, good at defending and can score goals if they need to, but it won't be a, a gluttony of goals. And I still don't think that's the case, but I, I think they were far more attacking than I was expecting them to be on the road in, in Brazil. And as I say, we saw more from Sao Paulo again this week in terms of being the aggressors. It will actually be a shame if both of these two put on a similar spectacle in the second leg to lose one of them in this competition, judging by some of the flatter performances we've seen from the likes of Olympia against Inter and stuff. Because both mm. of these two sides, are both on how they've played in certain moments in the groups and in this first leg, you'd think probably do deserve to be in that that top eight of the Combable Libertadores this year. Agree. Agree with that, yeah. Universal and Lissandro Lopez doesn't get on yet. That was disappointing. That was the big mm. letdown because the game was there for him to come on and, you know, finish it off in the 90th minute with something. Poor, poor decision there by Juan Pizzi. <laughs> Universidad Catolica, Neil Palmeiras won. I tell you what, Palmeiras are poor. They were poor. Now, they were poor. They still got the win away from home. They haven't conceded a goal. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. Can we, Palmeiras, Palmeiras reserves were poor. <laughs> well, I thought we, we were talking about how deep it, what is it? I mean, it's a deep squad when we're praising them and it's their reserves when we're, when we're slamming them. Yeah, like, listen, Honey wasn't there. And if you look at that Palmeiras lineup, you would kind of take a double take and be like, hang on, where's he? Where's he? Where's he? Where's he? Why, why are they playing? So, yeah, I mean, it was Palmeiras reserves and they've gone to Chile and they've, they've, they've got a result. So, from that perspective, um, that they'll be pleased. But I mean, Universidad Catolica and, and Gus Poyet on the touchline was so frustrated. He was so frustrated because he must have known this was an um, unbelievable opportunity against the defending champions. They just couldn't take their chances. Um, Weverton, a string of really, really big saves. Um, Rafael Vega scores scores the penalty, by the way, for, for Palmeiras. The only goal of the game. He scored a couple of pens in the group stages. Was it a handball from... Um, was it Lenaro at the back, I think? Her man mm. Lenaro. And uh, his arm's a bit away from his body. Is it harsh? Probably. Is it a pen? Really? Maybe. What do you think? I think it's harsh. I think you? it's really harsh. I think it is a, <sighs> it's mean, a big arm... gift to Palmeiras. Um, yeah, maybe unnatural position. I don't know. But the penalty went in and Palmeiras are now 13 games unbeaten away from home in the Commonwealth Libertadores. No side has ever done that before. 13 games Strong. away from home, unbeaten in the Commonwealth Libertadores. There you go. Pretty nuts, eh? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, Palmeiras deserves, but they got the got the job done. Uh, Edson Puch, some of the passing he displayed, particularly the, the 
ball over the top to Diego Valencia in the second half with the chance that Valencia then squanders. He's a, he's, he just drops it on a dime, the uh, Catolica substitute. And, and, you know, getting on Fuenza leader, the old guard, to kind of like go a bit more get, uh, for Catolica and try and get themselves back into this. Uh, I wanted Montez to come on. I thought it's probably mm. screaming out for him <laughs> oh, to be man. involved. Montez... <laughs> I mean, I know the guy's been involved in the Copper America and stuff, but get get the kid in. He, he makes a difference. Um, yeah, lucky for Palmeiras. They are using the depth of their squad, which I think has, should be said. Uh, it also shows that the depth of their squad combined with perhaps just being a bit lax away from home and we talk about Brazilian sides playing within each other, within each other, within themselves. Um within each other's a very different situation I think um, yeah it's uh, it wasn't just great left the dead air. just left you to deal with that one by yourself yeah cheers Ollie. thank you <laughs> um, it wasn't great it's a result it's a, <laughs> it's a lucky result but it wasn't wasn't great but I still think they'll yeah. win it <laughs> I was um, yeah a little bit distracted because I was just looking at the odds which is sort of my customary thing to do now towards the back end of the pod <laughs> And and Palmeiras somehow the gentlemen and the ladies at Bet three six five I I don't know what they're watching because Palmeiras is still six to one it's a crazy crazy bet and Flamengo three to one how a Flamengo doubly likely to win the Libertadores I mean they both won their first leg nil it makes absolutely no sense and how River five to one River Plate a five to one Palmeiras six to one it's ridiculous you got the odds wrong bet three six five it annoys me every time I look at it and yet I haven't bet on it and I am Ollie before next week's part before next week's matches I'm going to put 100 pounds on Flamengo and 100 pounds on Palmeiras and people will be like oh that's quite a lot of money to put on a bet it's not because that is printing money there is absolutely no way that I uh, that a side outside those two win the cop win the common ball libertadores in 2021 it's it's actually impossible not just my opinion it's actually impossible <laughs>